Welcome to Community Hope Podcast. We pray that the Word of Christ would dwell in you richly as you listen and that you would be encouraged in Christ. Will you pray with me? Lord, open our hearts to your Word, open my lips to speak for you, and then, Holy Spirit, please move us in your direction, that we could be those who walk with you, Jesus, in your name, amen. So we're continuing our series in Life Together, and we actually get to chapter three, which is um, farther than the men's group. I think we just finished chapter one because we read and have, uh, we're just able to interrupt and talk about it, but it's been really enjoyable going through it with a group of guys. And he breaks this chapter up with solitude and silence, meditation, prayer, intercession, and then the test. Because you always have to have a test at the end, right, to see, see if you know it. And it's interesting, solitude and silence. Like, do you include this in your time with the Lord? Is this something that you include? Uh, we used to do prayer retreats, and I brought them back. And we're going to have one April 1st, and we're going to go away to a camp. And years ago, when I first started doing it, or maybe people haven't heard of it, and they want to go, and they think, oh, we're just going to pray together as a group. And I'm not saying that we don't do that, but a prayer retreat for me is for you to spend time with the Lord in solitude and silence. It's, it, there's a, a big block of time, like three, three and a half hours where you just get away and spend time with the Lord. People go, what am I going to do for all that time? Well, you have to come and see. And it's a, for me, it's, it's not just getting, it's not just corporate kind of stuff, but this is a time for you and the Lord to get to know each other better. So mark your calendars. April 1st, it will go away. It'll be like a Friday night to a Saturday and come back Saturday probably by 5 or 5.30. Uh, why is prayer or solitude and silence and getting alone with God important? Well, look what Jesus said. But when you pray, go into your inner room. Sometimes you call it a closet, a prayer closet. Go into your inner room, close the door, pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what, it, what is done in secret will reward you. Now, I know he's... He's kind of counteracting at that time. You had people who liked to pray publicly and they got a lot of attention doing it. And he's saying, no, 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 you need to pray alone. But prayer alone with God is critical. Solitude and silence is important. And don't, if you don't just take Jesus' word for it, take science's word. Five ways solitude can make you, make you more successful, backed by science. You know, if the Lord says it, it's going to prove true, isn't it? You know, I mean, this is the way it is. And it's so important that we have both community, but we also have time to pull away. Bonhoeffer says this. He says, let him who cannot be alone beware of community. And let him who is not in community beware of being alone. I posted this and people are like, that's a head scratcher. Like, what's, it, what's this talking about, right? Um, it's kind of interesting. Bonhoeffer would say, here's the problem. Each by itself has profound pitfalls and perils. One who wants fellowship without solitude plunges into the void of words and feelings. 
One who seeks solitude without fellowship perishes in the abyss of vanity, self-inflation, and despair. So, you know, here's what I think. If you're just all about being with people, maybe you're not comfortable with yourself, right? I, when I'm alone, I don't like the company I keep. You, you know, like being alone, you have your own thoughts, you have your, like it's, there's something about being alone with God and allowing him to speak to the deepest parts of you that you bring that out into community, right? And I like how he says, if you're just alone, you get self-infatuated. Because I could be a great Christian alone. <laughs> it's when I get out into the world where I'm tested, isn't it? It's, it's when you get out into the world where you're humbled. And so there is the problem. I like what Henry Nouwen says. He says, if you start with community and want to be faithful to community, you have to realize that what binds you together is not mutual compatibility or common task, but God. And in order to stay in touch with that call to community, we have to return to solitude. Now, what happens with me and when we look at one of the times where Jesus sought solitude is in solitude, it's where I'm reminded of my identity. Bryce prayed this morning and I'm like, wow, he, I, he could have scripted this. Because this is exactly what I'm talking about here. When I get alone with God, it's time to, to hear God's voice say what God said over his son at baptism. This is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. In Galatians, we read that God put his spirit into our heart. So we're now sons of God. And because of his spirit, we cry out, Abba, which is like Daddy God. It's like crying out, Daddy, Father. Like there's this intimacy. And I don't get that so much when I'm out in community. I get it when I'm alone. I get it when I spend time in, in prayer. Because it's, a, it's like a centering thing. Because then I go out in the world. Because in the world, I'm always, my own mind is like, how am I performing? How am I doing? What, like it's always, a, for me at least, there's a lot about performance uh, and now one would put it this way. He talks about how out in the world it's always like, am I doing enough? Do you love me enough? Will I be enough? And the, the world is always saying, just do more. I love you if you're good looking, if you're successful, if you do all this. Right? The world's love is always full of ifs. And we tap into that out in the world. And if we don't spend time alone, we, we, it's so easy just to attach to the world. And it's really an addictive cycle of trying to please everyone that you can never fully achieve it. And so this time of solitude where the Spirit of God comes in and speaks to you about who you are is so important. And Jesus goes out into the desert. Do you remember what his test was? What did Satan say? Well, what happened to him at baptism? This is my beloved son, and the first things that Satan says to him, if you are the son of God, turn these stones to bread. If you are the son of God, jump off. The like Satan is testing the voice that spoke to him. And Jesus is, is in a sense, going to be, be tested to prove his worth by his performance. And he's like, no, I'm going to stand on the voice that spoke to me. I don't have to prove my worth to the world. The voice spoke to me. 
I am the beloved of the Father. And that's what he got out in the desert when he was tested, and that's what we get too. You see, community, being out in, in the world, should drive us to solitude, and then in solitude, it should push us back into community. And yet there's a, a catch here. Because our solitude is always around Scripture. It's always around the Word. We're not just like seeking this stillness, but we're waiting on the Word. Look what Bonhoeffer wrote. He said, silence is the simple stillness of the individual under the Word of God. We're silent before hearing the Word because our thoughts are already directed to the Word. As a child is quiet... When he enters his father's room, we are silent after hearing the word because the word is still speaking and dwelling with us. Silence is nothing else but waiting for God's word and the coming, uh, coming from God with a word of blessing. Some of you may remember when we did the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course and the Emotionally Healthy Relationship. Like built into that course before you got into scripture, before you did anything, you set a timer and you sat in stillness. And if, if you remember when we did it with groups, you know, we had all these tables in here and a bunch of people. It's awkward. You ever just sat quietly with a group of people? You're like, okay, I'm awkward now. It's, and yet, this other life slowly comes in. It opens you up for the scripture that was about to be read. And so now one would say the first thing that we do when we seek time with the Lord is we seek silence and solitude. And then he says meditation is next. Now, when you think about meditation, many times you think of like emptying yourself, right? But no, our meditation is on the word. We don't empty ourselves, but we we chew on, we ruminate, we think about the scriptures. That's how we meditate. Now, if you remember me talking about time with God or time with God as in family and community, Nowen talked a lot about Bible reading. And he said, if our reading of the scriptures together, uh, we're led into whole lengths and breadth of the Bible. So he's like, when sometimes... You need to spend time in large chunks of Scripture. But if that's your only diet, I don't think you're healthy, right? I remember a guy who used to read through the Bible once a year. And um, he, he would, how do I say this? He was a Pharisee. And he would try to use his Scripture knowledge to intimidate you. So he comes up to me and he's like, how many times have you read through the Bible this year? But you know what I knew? That when his kids were young, he was, he was abusive to them. And his home life wasn't in line with what the scriptures taught. And I stared him down and I said, it doesn't matter how many times you've read it. It matters if you live it. And he walked away. Because it's one thing, and I think we need large quantities of the Bible, but I think here... You need time to think about small bits of the Bible. And, and I would encourage you, if you're like a Bible marathoner where you read through the you know, scriptures, you know, but maybe you don't have any meditation time, maybe break it up. One day, read large chunks. Then the next day, just focus on a smaller section. 
Nowen says here in meditation, we, we go into the unfathomable depths of a particular sentence or a word. Both are equally necessary that ye may be able to comprehend with all the saints what the breadth, the length, the depth, the height of God's love is. You know, I, I, I was sitting with, with uh, that chap, that section of Galatians recently, and we sang that song, Who the Sun Sets Free, You're Free Indeed, I'm a Child of God. And, and I've taught about being a child of God. I know that I'm adopted into the family, but in that moment, just thinking about that one section of Scripture, I don't know, it, it just bloomed in my heart. The reality of being a child and, and the inheritance that I will have in Christ. And my mind went to this section of scripture in Corinthians where Paul says, all things are yours. And he goes through things that you would never think are yours if you're a child of God. But he says, life is yours and death is yours and the future is yours. It's like things you'd never even think. He says, the world is yours because if you're in Christ, they're God's and they're Christ, and they're yours. And I'm, in my mind, I can't even explain it now, just started being blown by this whole, I am a child of God, and what is God's inheritance is my inheritance. What is Christ's inheritance? And this comes not always, but it comes through meditation and thinking about it. I mean, when Psalm 1-1 was written, he doesn't say, blessed is the man who, like, reads through the whole Bible four times a year. He says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked or stands in the way of sinners or sits in the seat of scoffers, but delights in the law of the Lord. And look what he does. On his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither and everything he does prospers. There's this thing about meditating. And so when you meditate, you might just get caught up on one word, like love, mercy, grace, compassion, sanctification, justification. Like, like it may just be a word. Bonhoeffer says it's not necessary that we should get through an entire passage in one meditation. Often we shall have to stop with one sentence or one word because we've been gripped and arrested and cannot evade it any longer. Yeah, this is, this is how the Spirit works when we just start chewing on these concepts or these thoughts. Do you have time in your life where you, where you sit with Scripture, where it's more than just reading? Maybe something jumps out, and uh, maybe you are a person that reads through the Bible every year. Maybe you could do it in two years and take the opposite days and just think about some of what you read the day before. Just meditate on it. And yet, it doesn't come easy. I don't know about you, but when I try to get alone and meditate on Scripture and, and spend time with the Lord, everything comes against me in my heart and in my mind. Have you ever been there? It's like you sit down, oh, I got to go to the bathroom. You go back. You know, my coffee's cold. I could just, it would be great to just have that warm cup of coffee. You go back, right? He, he says, hey, often we're so burdened and overwhelmed with other thoughts, images, concerns, that it may take a long time before God's word 
has uh, swept aside, I mean, swept all else aside and come through. That's a hearty amen for me. It just takes a while. I'm thankful when the knowledge of God's presence, when his word breaks through, but it just takes a while. He says, this is why we begin our meditation. You may even want to write this prayer down or find it in your book with the prayer that God may send his Holy Spirit to us through his word and reveal his word to us and enlighten us. You can't do it on your own. I can hardly even bring myself regularly to the place. I need the Holy Spirit to move me, direct me. You need the Holy Spirit to move you and to direct you. If you're sitting here and you're like, I don't know if I can fit it in or I don't know, begin this way. Lord, please, by your Spirit, move me to spend time with you. Move, teach me how to meditate. Help me get this into my daily diet with you, Lord. And, and then... He, he, do you remember the song? It started like this, ooga shaka, ooga, 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 right? You, come on, yeah, yeah, uh, hooked on a feeling. Sometimes you have these great moments with God, and sometimes it's dry. Sometimes you just go through it, and you don't have these great feelings. Uh, but the reality is, is we don't seek a feeling. Sometimes when we sing from our hearts to the Lord, you get you know, the wonderful goosebumps or whatever. And other times, you just do it in faith. And if you or I are just going, well, I'm not feeling anything, I'm not feeling, you're not worshiping God, you're worshiping a feeling, you're seeking a feeling. He says, hey, seek God, not happiness. This is the fundamental rule of all meditation. If you seek God alone, you will gain happiness. That is its promise. Yeah, and it's so important it's so easy to make something created, which would be happiness, our end, and not God. You know, the, the gifts of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, we don't seek those things. We seek God, and those are the byproducts of our relationship with God. Chapter 3, then, he goes, spend time, get quiet before God, learn to meditate on Scripture, and then after that, pray. Now, I love his definition of prayer. He says, prayer means nothing else but the readiness and willingness to receive and appropriate the word. And what is more, to accept it in one's personal situation, particular tasks, decisions, sins, and temptations. Isn't that interesting? So he's saying when you're praying, when you are confronted with the word, your prayer should be, Lord, I'm struggling with this thing or I, I have this temptation or whatever. And you're trying to put your life in line with what the scriptures teach. I mean, look at what Jesus did, right? One of the best prayers you can think about is Jesus before he goes to the cross. He's like, Father, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless... Not my will, but thy will be done. Right? Do you see that? I mean, Jesus is in prayer aligning himself with the will of his Father. And many times we have desires or thoughts or things. They're just not fulfilled. They're not how I want them to be. We, we, sometimes we're tempted to make something happen that shouldn't be made to happen. And here we are in prayer learning to like lay it down to pick up our cross and to follow him. 
I remember years ago, and, and I, I had this desire to be a pastor. But it, it, every time I would pray about it, 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 the Lord would be like, no. And I remember in prayer just going, take it away or bring it to pass. It was years. And, and it, wouldn't, it didn't happen. And it was so frustrating just laying it down, laying it down. Finally, when it did happen, it happened so quick and unexpectedly, it, it, I, it made my head spin. But the waiting and the laying it down all happened in prayer over and over and over again. And this is really how uh, life is. We have desires, we have passions, we have stuff that many times isn't going to be fulfilled on this earth. There's a website that I like to follow, and it's called livingout.org. And it, it, these are, a lot of them are priests and pastors um, in England. Many of them are same-sex attracted, and they're like, you know what? We have desires that will never be fulfilled on this earth, but they'll be ultimately fulfilled in the kingdom. And God calls some people to singleness, and they have desires that won't be fulfilled on this earth, but will ultimately be fulfilled in the kingdom. Make sure the volume's up. And I really like their perspective on this. A trailer at the cinema has been designed to make you want to enjoy the film it advertises. It gives you a foretaste of a future reality that could be yours if you watch the film. Sex and marriage have been designed to make you want to enjoy the future they advertise. They give you a foretaste of a future reality that could be yours if you follow Jesus. Any joy in sex and marriage now is just a trailer for the future joy all Christians will experience united, married to God's son Jesus forever. So. If you get to enjoy sex and marriage now, you're just enjoying the trailer. If you don't enjoy sex and marriage now, you're just missing the trailer. All who follow Jesus will get to enjoy the real thing. I remember when I posted once, the first kiss from Jesus, and you'll say, this is what I've looked for my whole life. Somebody did not like that I used the word kiss. And, uh, but... I said, okay, embrace. Uh, but here's the thing. I think all of our pleasures are pointers to our relationship with Christ. We're the bride, and we're waiting for the divine marriage. And sometimes on earth, we have these desires, and they're never going to be fulfilled here. And that's the way God meant it to be. Jesus was never married, and he was on earth because he married his church, and yet he was fully fulfilled and fully man, and he said, if anyone would follow after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever wants to lose his life, I'm sorry, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. Can I say this is counter to what our culture teaches? Our culture teaches look deep inside, find your deepest desires, and live into them. And that will be who you are. And Jesus is like, no, you lose your life in me, and you'll truly find your life. And, and what the Bible teaches is running against what our culture is teaching right now. And yet, the scriptures are full of a promise that truly, truly, I say to you, there's no one who's left house 
or brother or sister or mother or father, children or land for the sake of the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and land with persecution. Don't you wish he didn't put that one line in there? You're like, what? Right? Because what I just said, if you say that in our culture, you'll get persecuted. And in the age to come, eternal life. So when we bear our cross, when we, when we say, you know, Lord, we're wrestling in prayer because you want me to be generous. And yet when, I'm, when I think about being generous, I feel scared because I, I, I find comfort in having money or this or that. Do you see that? Like in prayer, we wrestle with bearing our cross, taking Jesus at his word and following him and trusting his promises. And, and prayer is where we lay it down. Now, if you're like me, as you're trying to um, have solitude and meditate on scripture and pray, your mind may go to these things. Have you ever been there? You're like, oh, I'm going to pray. And then all of a sudden you're thinking about this. And then you're like, stop it. Get back. You know, I really like what Bonhoeffer says here. I, I read it to our board because I, I like it so much. He, he says this, it is one of the particular difficulties of meditation that our thoughts are likely to wander and go their own way. Amen. Towards other persons, towards some event in, the, in our life, much as this may distress and shame us again and again, we must not lose heart and become anxious or even conclude that meditation is really something not for us. What's he going to tell us to do? When this happens, it's often a help not to snatch back our thoughts convulsively and hate on yourself like I would likely do, but quite calmly to incorporate into our prayers the people and events to which our thoughts keep straying, and thus, in all patience, return to the starting point of meditation. Is that not beautiful? Instead of going, what am I doing? Why am I thinking? He's like, just start praying about it. Because that's what you want to be doing anyways. Isn't that beautiful? And you don't end up kind of hating yourself or beating yourself up. You just actually spend more time in prayer. So then he says prayer and intercession. Now, intercession, of course, is prayer, but it's, it's different in his definition. And I like how he defines it. He says a Christian fellowship lives and exists by intercession of its members for one another, or it collapses. Now, on one hand, we could say we need to be praying for each other, but how would a community of believers collapse if there's not prayer? Look what he says. He says, I can no longer condemn or hate a brother or a sister for whom I pray. No matter how much trouble he causes me, his face that hitherto may have been strange and intolerable to me, is transformed in intercession into the countenance of a brother for whom Christ died, the face of a forgiven sinner. Is that not beautiful? He's saying when you're in church and somebody in your mind or in reality snubs you, hurts you, does steps on your toes, whatever it is, if you spend time in prayer with them, or for them, all of a sudden they, they stop being that person and they start being human in the presence of God. 
They start being like you, somebody who Jesus died for, another sinner who needs the grace and forgiveness. And he's saying without this kind of prayer, a fellowship would just implode. We need to be a people who are praying for each other, praying for family members, praying for spouses, praying for coworkers. Because when I know how much I've been forgiven, then I forgive. When I know how much I've been loved, then I love. And then he says, we should train ourselves and set apart a regular hour for it. As we do every other service we perform. This is not legalism. It's orderly, it's orderliness and fidelity. Most people, sorry, for most people, early in the morning will prove the best time. So what is he saying? Put it in your schedule. Put it, put it on your calendar. You, you know, you ever try to exercise? Yeah, it's hard, isn't it? You have to put it on your calendar. I find that if I put it on my calendar every day, I'll hit four days, right? If I put it on four days, I might hit two. I mean, it's just the way I am. Some of you guys, you've put on seven days a week. You're there seven days a week, not me. And so, you know, he's saying, put it on your calendar. And maybe this kind of stuff isn't part of your spiritual diet. Give it a try. Even if you just start with 10 minutes of silence. Inc. Magazine says it's worth it. No, the Lord would, will bless it, and you may find, wow, I, I went 15. Wow, I, I, went, I got lost in, in the time that I spent with the Lord. And then he ends with this, a test. It's kind of fascinating. He's like, hey, if you're really spending time with God, if you're really meditating on Scripture, and then you go out into the world, and you are just a jerk to everybody, he would say your meditation is not working. Right? I mean, that's what he's saying. He goes, has the fellowship with the Lord served to make the individual free, strong, mature, or has it made him weak and dependent? Right? So he's like, it should make you more connected to Jesus. Now, as I read this, my mind went to a poem that he wrote in prison because I have found that other people can look at me and see one thing, but when I look at myself, I see something else. And the Apostle Paul talked about how in our weakness, he's made strong. And I discovered this poem in college, and he wrote it in prison, and it's called, Who Am I? Who Am I? And, and I think if you spend time in meditation on Scripture and you go out into the world, you might actually see yourself as weaker than what other people see you, and yet you truly may be walking in the strength of Christ. Listen to what he wrote. He said, who am I? Who am I? They often tell me I, that I would walk from my cell confidently, calmly, cheerfully, firmly, like a squire at his country house. Who am I? They often tell me that I talk to the warden freely and friendly and clearly as though the place was mine to command. Who am I? They often tell me that I would bear the days of misfortune equitably, proudly, like one accustomed to win. Am I then really all that which other men tell me, or am I only what I know of myself? I'm restless, longing and sick, like a bird in a cage struggling for breath. 
as though the hands were compressing my throat, yearning for color, for flowers, for voices of birds, thistles, uh, thirsting for words of kindness, neighborliness, trembling with anger at the despotism, petty humiliation, tossing in expectation of great events, powerlessly trembling for friends at an infinite distance, weary and empty at praying and thinking, at making, faint, ready to say farewell to it all. Who am I? Am I this or the other? Am I one person today and tomorrow another? Am I both at once? A hypocrite before others and before myself a contemptible woebegone weakling? Or is something within me still like a beaten army fleeing in disorder from the victory already achieved? Who am I? They mock me, these lonely questions of mine. Who am I? Thou knoweth, O God, I'm thine. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you that we're yours. And I pray that you would lead us to know you more. As the Apostle Paul said, I want to know Christ and the fellowship. So lead us on in you, Lord Jesus. In your name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Community of Hope, go to www.cohchurch.com. God bless you today.